We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Welcome to our new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. And we have an extra special two for the price of one deal today (laughs) because we are speaking to Nikki French, who, for people not listening, well, shame on you if you didn't know this already, but Nikki French is actually two people. So you get two brilliant brains for the price of one. We've got Nikki Gerard and Sean French. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good to be here. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank no, you thank for joining. Thank you for giving up your Friday night for us as well. <laughs> well, we're, we have nothing else to do. <laughs> Neither do we. So. Well, I don't know. When Frankie messaged me about the date for this one, I just replied and said, bold of you to assume I'll be sober on St. Patrick's Day, but... <laughs> oh, right, of course. Of course, yeah. it's St. Patrick's Day. You're holding it together well, Sarah. Yeah. I am very... <laughs> Yeah, thank you. All fine. (laughs) So thank you so much for being with us. Um, I'm going to start by reading a little bio of the two of you. If anything's incorrect, please direct your complaints to Frankie, who obviously wrote it. (sighs) Every single time she does this. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) This reminds me of how we work together. We just say, blame the other person. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a lot of questions about this. Okay. We are like an old married couple at this point. Uh, So, one of contemporary British fiction's most famous double acts, Nikki French is the pseudonym of husband and wife writing team Nikki Gerard and Sean French. Both journalists, the pair met when working at the New Statesman and married in 1990. Their first novel as Nikki French was The Memory Game. Since then, they've collaborated on many standalone psychological thrillers, including Killing Me Softly, The Red Room, Secret Smile and Catch Me When I Fall. Their latest book, The Favour, is out at the end of March and tells the story of Jude, a woman who finds herself in the middle of a murder investigation after her first love suddenly turns up in her life asking for a favour and shortly after turns up dead. Nikki and Sean live in Suffolk and as well as being extremely hardworking and talented writers, they are also incredibly kind and generous with their time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very accurate. (laughs) I thought so, yeah. I never doubted Frankie. Yeah. So um, I have to say, I I got a little bit of a surprise. I hadn't realised that you were a writing duo, which... No. So you well, knew of Nikki French, but you didn't know that we were two people. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, <laughs> see your books all over, Waterstones in particular, but it never clicked. You know, but in a way, we, we, do, we still, after all these years, we meet readers who say... You know, they hadn't realised there were two of us. And then actually that's what we want. We don't want people to be thinking, oh, that's so clever that two people could write together. What we want, the feeling is that you have one writer talking to you. And that's, I think sometimes we almost feel that, you know, the two writer thing can be a distraction. You know, if it gets in the way of people just getting lost in a story. Yeah. um, Because we're going against this by sitting here talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep it a secret. I mean, I'm absolutely mind blown. I have no idea how you can tackle such a creative process as two separate people coming together. You must really like each other for a start. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big question. is your marriage tell us everything we're yeah. married after having written together for how many years 27 years wow you know, not, i don't think the process i mean maybe we'll get on to the process of how yes. we do it it's not just about liking each other <laughs> 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 
<laughs> it's not something to recommend to every couple to try it because it's because I mean writing is such a stressful process and the, and actually the pro- writing together is is not just twice as, as stressful. I think it's like four times as stressful <laughs> or something. You know because because of just the constant that kind of interaction and two people trying to kind of find one voice. So it's not just that we like each other. I think the, <laughs> the, the crucial thing is that we we trust each other and then we trust each other in the writing process. And the, I mean, you can imagine what it's like handing over your precious words to somebody else to be kind of changed and edited and erased and, and replaced by their own words. It's, a, it's quite a kind of painful and very delicate business. And we just have to lay aside our egos. We can't be a kind of power battle. We can't be in competition with each other. And also we have to, you know, when you write, you have to, to, to allow yourself to be ridiculous and to make big mistakes and to experiment in ways and, and to kind of feel foolish even to yourself. And we're doing that kind of in front of the other. Mm. Um, so it's very exposing and quite a vulnerable business. So, I mean, actually, I do quite like Sean, actually. I do quite like I quite like is good. I quite like Sean. This is very, very English. This. We quite, 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 quite. I like Sean. Let's but, not, but let's not go too far. But also, initially, I just trust him. I mean, I trust him in my life, but also I trust him in that, in that kind of very peculiar kind of working endeavour that we're doing. Because, yeah. you know, you do realise we never actually write together. We're never in the same room at all. So, you know, we always, you know, when can we do all that? We do the research and the planning together. But when we come to the actual writing, we do, we, you know, we do completely separately. And then so one will write something and, and then the other person can just change and edit. So when Nikki was saying about trust, I think what that means is when, you know, when it's, things have been, what you realise, it's just, it's always about the book, about the story. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, so, you know, even things I've written that might have felt absolutely perfect <laughs> and then they come back and they're all changed and different. But it's not that Nikki's struggling to write the book she had in mind all along. It's the idea of what does this story uh, need? And I think if we didn't, if that, if we didn't, if we felt, if there was a feeling that the other, you know, the other person really had their own book in mind and there was mm. Alan Highwater or whatever, they were going to do that book bit by bit. We'd have just had some huge row when we were writing our first <laughs> book. <laughs> and never done anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So actually, when you said that, it was a shock because you thought it was by one person in one very real way. It is by one person. It is by Nikki French. We are both writing into this voice of Nikki French that we've created between us. It's not that I'm writing as Nikki Gerald and mm. sending, it, sending it to Sean, who's pushing as much of Sean French as he can into that voice. It's not two voices and two styles being mashed together. We really, we genuinely have this kind of third person in our marriage called Nikki French. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting saying about a little bit about your process because my initial thought was it must be so hard. But then actually I was thinking the planning process in particular, it must be really mm. helpful to have two people collaborating on that. That is spot on. I mean, actually, one of the great benefits of writing together is the way we plan the books together. And it's kind of, it's it's fun and it's completely collaborative. And we will spend weeks and months and we'll go for long walks and we'll sit at the kitchen table drinking endless cups of tea and coffee. And we'll just talk and talk and talk. And, and we both have to agree on the book that we're writing. It can't be that one of us 
wants to do a book and the other one is dragged along in their wake. It's that we both have to kind of be equally excited by an idea and then gradually work out how it's going to be a kind of really compelling thriller. Okay, I think also when you're talking about the, the importance of two people, I think there is a way, and it's maybe it's most important in the thriller form, is maybe on your own you can let yourself get you maybe will let yourself get away with something and think oh I'll be able to solve that later or that's good <laughs> that, that yeah I think I've explained that enough and yeah. it's quite to have to justify yourself to someone who's actually saying no hang on you know that doesn't quite make sense or that's is that really convincing it so you know because I think there are I mean one of the things about writing about thrillers is you're always having you know I mean you, you obviously you're writing about your own obsessions and you're writing about your own story. But there's always that feeling about what is it, what's the reader thinking at this moment? What are they expecting mm. to happen? And you and there are these, I mean, you know, the the, uh, the these moments you worry about where the reader will think, hang on. Well, I mean, for example, the, a fatal thing is if the reader is, is ahead of you. If they think, oh, come on, we see what's going to mm. happen. We know this is a the twist is coming. Just get a move on. Or on the other hand, if they just, you know, if people are just don't, you know, they think, oh, oh she wouldn't do that then. That's just really, you know. That, that's, mm. So, so be, I think we have that, a lot of our conversations about that kind of issue. I can imagine as well, um, because writing, I know, can be quite an isolating process as well. And it can be, you know, often we speak to authors and they say that they they crave human interaction while they're writing. And I imagine at least you get the best of both in your partnership where you can take the time together to collaborate and then go off and do the bits that need to be done separately. That must balance it nicely. I mean, I think in that sense, it really does balance it nicely. I mean, the actual writing process is still a solitary business. And you just have to go a little bit mad all by yourself in whatever room you work in. So in that sense, it works in the same way as that we disappear into our different working spaces, which are, by the way, as far from each other as they can possibly be. <laughs> and you're on your own. And, and I think that every, you know, and, and, you, and you kind of have to dive down into yourself and it's still that mysterious business. But the, everything around it is so much more companionable. So the kind of planning of it. Kind of when when you kind of hit a brick wall when there are knots, we can kind of work them out together. Um, when we're having a, when we're having trouble, we can kind of help each other out. And then you know when the book comes out and we go around together, like you know, we talk about it together and, and hide behind each other, as it were. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I think very personally, I've always loved the kind of creation of art, like in films or theatre, where you have a group of people mm. doing it. I think so almost we've turned our are writing a novel into something like that, which is a kind of sociable thing. It's like a uh, TV writer's room, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very progressive. And and clearly, you know, you play, you work on each other's strengths as well, and you can support each other through the weaker parts as well. I think that's incredible. And it is impressive. I know you don't want people to recognise that it's two people, but it's incredibly pre- impressive that you've been able to create a third voice and you mm. both get it. Well, I think the thing is, the first, I think the first book we wrote together, you said before that we were journalists and we wrote the first book just because we were, we were both used to, we were both working as we were writing stuff and showing it to each other. So we thought, could we do, could we one day do it together? And I, so the, fir- the first book was just, can we actually do it? Can we actually get the pages written? You know, we had, didn't have any idea of a career or even getting anything published. And I think the surprise was that, that actually, the, I think, and the thing that seems really mysterious, having done it all these years, is that the, I feel that I can, when, you know, when I write as Nikki French, I feel I can write in a way that's different from the way I can write on my own. And it's really weird. I don't, it's strange and I can't explain it. Yeah, and in true. a way we describe how we do it and how it works, but in part we don't quite understand it mm. ourselves. You know, that it doesn't, that it still feels a little bit mysterious. And sometimes we feel it shouldn't work. But, but it, you know, and, and we've always made this pledge that 
if it stops being kind of fun and a bit scary and we can do something different each time, then that will that will be the end of Nikki French. We mm. we just we have to do it because it's something that between us we're compelled to do. You have um, published novels individually as well, haven't you? Both of you. Yes. Do yes. you I you might not want to answer this. I'm going to say I assume you prefer yeah. writing together and not individually. There's no good answer to this other than yes, <laughs> prefer writing together. So I so I will I think it's very important that we've both been writers separately mm. before and during the time that we wrote have written together. Because you know, you know, it feels good to me, that we've both got our kind of individual careers, our individual voices, our individual sense of self before then kind of kind of merging ourselves in this voice. Yeah. And so prefer, I mean, it's been an extraordinary adventure. You know, the last 25 plus years of kind of exploring the world together has been kind of fabulous and completely unexpected. And it, and it still takes me a bit by surprise that here we are, all these years later, all these books later, and we are having fun and excitement doing it. I mean, I think, and I think there is a difference. And when I was saying that the actual acts of writing, when we actually go and write in our separate writing spaces, we're on our own. That's kind of true. But at the same time, I think that when I write, I'm both writing kind of into myself and for myself, but also there's part of me that's writing kind of, to and for Sean. So it's like there's a kind of almost like a kind of secret communication going on in the book. I mean, and maybe that's why, although I don't know if this is the case, maybe that's why it works. There's a kind of kind of little tone of intimacy there. Yeah. Well, I, just, I mean, I think it's something really interesting. It's really, it's really different to writing on my own or doing it together. And the weird, the weird, maybe this is by saying this is my psychological problem. In a weird <laughs> way, I feel kind of almost weirdly freer writing. In collaboration, you know, and that's, it's like assuming this, uh, it's like, you know, being writing as Nikki French, it's almost like, you know, putting on a mask and going to a carnival and behaving <laughs> in a way you can't do in your normal life, you know. So, I mean, that's, that, as Nikki was saying, I think there's a kind of strange adventure about doing, about this the collab- collaboration. That's amazing. I know. That's a, you sound alarmed in a good way. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I, I think, you know, I, I married myself and the idea of doing uh, a, a, something like that with my husband, I can't even fathom it. Not because we have a, a, not because I don't trust him and we have a terrible marriage. It's just not that way, but you've clearly got a good, a good thing but going. I don't also, I wouldn't, I don't, I'm really not, wouldn't even begin to say something like that. That would be a good, that's a good sign of a healthy mm. marriage. If you, if you, <laughs> Thank you for making me feel better. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't really sure. No, because I think lots of, I mean, loads of relationships depend in a really healthy way of having boundaries and, mm. and you have separate lives and you work separately and you have different groups. And in a way, one of the weird things about our, Writing together, there are no boundaries, you know, and we don't, there's not no time when we're not working. And, you know, that's not entirely true in our life. I mean, I, we've talked quite, a, I mean, people sometimes ask us about do we have secrets from each other? What a question. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I've been honest with you. I will tell you, I mean, of course we have secrets from each other. Well, I know, because I have no, I have no secrets. <laughs> Everyone needs to have that secret self and that secret place. And it's not about kind of, having a guilty secret. It's not about a secret kind of hiding. It's about everyone has a little space or a big space. There's in in the landscape of the self, there has to be a secret garden and it just belongs to you. So when Sean says there's no boundaries, that's not quite true because of course, you know, that's part of 
being successfully human is is to kind of have a place that's just your own. Also, say that I think it's in- interesting to me maybe that quite a few of our stories are about how you just the people you really don't know are the people you're closest to. You know, that you, you know, you can be living with a partner and you suddenly they can betray you completely. And I think mm. in a way, because we're so wrapped, wrapped up with each other, I think we're sort of aware of the kind of how complicated that, you know, the complications that come from that, you know. No, I would go further. I think really? the more I write with Sean, the more strange he becomes to me. The more I write, the more I realise that I don't know. And that's really good. So what we're writing about is how you don't know somebody. You never know somebody. And that, that's an area of kind of dread and distrust. But there's another way of looking at that, which is you never get to the end of somebody. Mm. You never get to the end of yourself and you never get to the end of another person. And that's the kind of wonderful thing about being human is that there's this kind of this kind of labyrinthine self. And you can never, there's no kind of, there's no end to how interesting mm. people can be. And keep things interesting in a long marriage as well, I imagine. You're like, oh, still learning new things about each other. And still, exactly. Yeah, keep things interesting. And also yeah. you have a third person that you can potentially blame everything on. But like, oh, that was a Nikki French thing. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. <laughs> We've talked a bit about your writing process to a degree. Um, and one question we, we always like to ask the authors that come on is, what do you love most about the writing process and what do you love least about it? So I'll, I'll begin with what I love. I'll, I'll, I'll begin with both. I'll say both. The thing that I love most, and probably loads of writers say this to you, because it's just such a magical thing, is, I mean, writing a novel in particular, it's, it's work. And you can't just wait for kind of the golden moment, the inspiration. It's not like writing a tiny poem. You have to turn up at your desk and you have to put in the work. And there are days when it's just awful and nothing gets written, or minus nothing gets written. And then there are those times where it just makes everything worthwhile when it's like you're just falling down the rabbit hole and the writing is taking you in kind of new directions and it's disobeying you if you like and you're going to places you hadn't thought. And it's it feels so it always feels kind of unexpected and just fantastic. And what I dislike most, I think the thing that I have found most painful about writing is that moment of ending something. I mean, often people think that it's, it must be kind of such a relief and such a triumph to come to the end. And of course, often one doesn't come to an end in that neat way. There are always kind of revisions and it just dribbles, you know, kind of fades gradually into finishing. But that thing of coming to an end and thinking, am I ever going to be able to write anything again? Was that it? And kind of waiting, you know, that, that horrible little gap before you know what it is you're going to be writing next. Mm. Wow. I think, well, I would just say that I agree with Nikki about the kind of, that idea of the the, 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 the the biggest pleasure is that kind of flow when it's sort of just almost you're taken over. But I'd also say that one of the pleasures of, I think it could be maybe any kind of writing, but definitely, again, what the kind of thing we write is it's constantly kind of problem solving. And there's something really interesting about grappling, grappling with problems and trying mm. to find this way through. And when you find, you think you're, you're just like building a machine and sort of, will this bit go with this? And yes, that'll work. So that's, there's something really pleasurable about that. I mean, I think that the, about the, the downside is just not writing. There was, I remember some, uh, Douglas Adams said, there's that particular feeling you get at four in the afternoon when you haven't got enough done. <laughs> yeah. And, and there is that kind of just, that sometimes you just, it's not even, there's one thing about sitting and writing slowly, but the, the word is that, that even that's better than sitting and not writing when you just haven't sort of 
got down to it and that feel there's a kind of awful feeling about that. Yeah. Where you were saying about how much you enjoy problem solving, have you ever written yourself into a corner where you actually just haven't been able to solve it? Or have you always found it? Or maybe the other ones always found the way out, if need be? <laughs> there are, I think, I wouldn't say written in, in a kind of where, I think we've once or twice we've actually, listen, and if it's properly answering your question, a couple of times we've got to a point like to written like a quarter of a book or something or a third of a book. And we thought, we do, you know, I, we don't see the way forward from this, you know, or we've slightly run out, you know, so we've kind of just junked it at that point. Oh, that must be really tough. Well, we, we, once, were, we, we wrote once. a whole book once, <gasps> read, thought there's something a bit wrong. And in fact, there was a, the idea we had for the next book, it was kind of in our minds. Mm. And we just threw it away and very, very rapidly wrote this wow. other book. No, but um, then but, I think that I feel that 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 you have to think of that as as just foundation. Part of the process. It's part of the process. Failing is part of the process. Throwing things away is, but every day you throw things away, you discard stuff, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of walking on the kind of shards of your old words, really. Because yeah. again, we're going back to your question that I think. I mean, I, I, I mean, of course, things like that. You certainly can think that. Oh, this is how this is suddenly. But especially when once you start writing, sometimes it won't be. Something that didn't seem a problem. Suddenly, once you've got the characters doing it, and you think actually there's a problem here. But in the big, I mean, I think one of the things we've we've always agreed on is it is um, it's really it's easy to have a really great, amazing idea for a beginning, creating an amazing mystery if you haven't thought of a proper way of a satisfying way of solving it. So I think you really, I think one of the things we really try and do right at the beginning is the most important bit of the idea is the is is the ending more than the beginning. You know because I think we, we've, uh, Nikki and I both, I think we've been really, and we're always just, you know, not just talking about our writing, but we've always talked about what we're reading. And it's, you know, why did this work for us? Why did that not work for us? And there's something about when you get to the end of a book and you just think, that didn't, I don't believe that, you know, that yeah. was, that was a really intriguing, that was a really intriguing, you know, idea for a thing. And that's completely unconvincing, the, res- the resolution. Whereas on the other hand, times where you get to the end, you think, wow. That was more than, you know, I did not see that coming and that was better than I expected. That's such, that, that's like what you really hope to deliver to a reader, you know. So, so it's really, uh, you should, I think in a way, that, that one advice I would give to writers is to really give as much thought. Don't just start writing and think you'll come up with a brilliant solution. That You need to start with a solution most, I think most of the time. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because you always say there are no rules except the ones you set. <laughs> I know, I know. I can't <laughs> Well, also, they all have it. They all have an exception. There are no real. And of course, other people. I know there are plenty of people who. I know there, and there are plenty of thriller. I think that um, Lee Child, who hasn't done too badly for himself, no, heard of him. Yeah, aware of his work. Yeah, I think he says he starts writing. He'll just start writing, and he doesn't know. I think sometimes he has an idea for a first sentence. And he his characters and he, and he has no oh. idea how it's going to end. So great, you know. I'm not going to. I'm not going to attack that. So your plan is not pantsers for the most part, mm. would you say? Uh, so I think that. So what we we always plan, we know where the book is going. We know the journey it's going on. We know we know who, who the criminal is. Mm-hmm. So we kind of know the general direction of travel. But absolutely we have to be kind of available for change because that's when a book's working. So you just some characters won't do what you want them to do. And and and, and others just don't kind of work the way you thought they would. I mean, it was interesting when we were writing our series the free decline series mm. is that we had a collection of characters and so for instance there's one character called joseph who's a ukrainian builder who's meant who appears in the first of the eight parts of the eight part series 
And he's there as a plot device originally. We just planned him as a plot device. He falls through the ceiling of Frieda Klein's consulting room. And and then he was just meant to disappear. And he just wouldn't go away. And he got on <laughs> with the other characters. And he just he just wouldn't leave. So and so we had to let him stay because he was just he was adding to the jollity of everything and he just became very important. Whereas there are other characters who don't take fire so much and it's very useful as a thriller writer because you can just kill them then. (laughs) Add to the body count. Very nice. Good writing and life advice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're here. We offer full service. Well, speaking of writing really good characters and really compelling stories, let's talk about The Favour, which I am ploughing my way through and absolutely loving, struggling to put it down, to be honest. So really enjoying it. And it's such an interesting premise. And I think Sarah touched on it in the intro that I wrote her uh, at the beginning, (laughs) where it was uh, Jude, who's a doctor. And, you know, she's largely got her life together. She's engaged and everything's going really well. And then this guy from her past, her first kind of love. And in the, in the prologue, you, you find out a lot about their, their kind of romance and how things start to begin with. He comes back and asks her for this favor. Now, that's a really fascinating premise. And especially the way that it, I think you really capture the, the nostalgia that you feel about early relationships in your, in your life, in the early ones. And, and, and how that can potentially blind you to quite a lot of red flags. I think yeah. it's very, <laughs> very relatable. But where did the yeah, inspiration yeah. for this come from? So, uh, so they, we for years, many years, we carried around this idea for a novel based on the favour, what doing somebody a favour actually means. And we had a conversation about whether if somebody comes to you who means a lot to you or you owe something to and asks you for a favour, do you unconditionally say yes? And actually, we couldn't agree on that. We both had slightly different ideas. And and out of because we couldn't agree really, we knew that one day we'd have to kind of build a book around that, around whether you have a moral obligation. Um, and we, but we didn't know what that story was until we thought about Jude, who, as you say, she'd largely got her life sorted out. I would say she'd almost entirely got her life sorted yeah. out. Very dangerous in a Nicky French. Mostly, what we do is we're writing about people who feel they're on solid ground, and then suddenly. They realise they're on thin ice. So she's always been a good girl. She's always been on track. You know, she's a she's a doctor. She's engaged to be married. They're about to buy a flat together. Everything she's got everything is planned out. Um, and then Liam comes back into her life and asks her for this favour. Liam, who's a kind of bad boy, whose mm. life has not been on track. Mm. And it's about yes. Well, so she gradually so, and, and, and her so, life. So it's a real spoiler about <laughs> okay. saving yeah, the It's baby. a very bad decision. Not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and slowly. I feel so bad for her. Gradually, with every chapter, it falls apart a little bit further. Yeah. For her. <laughs> I think one thing that, that Nikki and I both feel is the kind of things that we find frightening is not so much like a terrorist attack. It's more mm. just how fragile your life can be. You can just. It's quite easy, and we probably, I'm sure, if, maybe it's happened to, 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 to us or people, we, but it's certainly, we've seen it in other people. You, uh, what looks like a safe, stable life can fall apart so quickly yeah. with just a one wrong decision or one bit of bad luck. You know, so that, it's always interesting to see what a character, you know, and to take a character and sort of, you know, in a way, put them through that and see how they cope. 
I also really love the the Leela character. Sorry, the way that she's constantly like, you realise how stupid you are, dude. Come on, really? Like, none of this really raise yeah, any flags for you? Yeah, she's a detective, yeah. But, um, yeah. Did, but again, haven't we all I either had it, you know, been the recipient or yes. seen, it, seen someone you know. And you think, you try, they're just behaving. Why on earth are you doing this? Yeah. And you, can't get it through to them, you know, to, to behave sanely. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's partly about that. You take one wrong step and then because you've taken that wrong step, you take another wrong step to try and reverse yourself. And then then by the end, you're just kind of going down the end edge of a cliff, really, in terms of mistakes. But we wanted, we wanted Jude to be making mistakes, but also to be sympathetic at the same time. You know, she's, in a way, we're kind of testing a reader's credulity in one way because how would you be so stupid? But I think that everyone is so stupid. Mm. Oh, 100%. As you say, I think we've all we've all had those moments in our life when we're explaining a situation to someone else. And then as you're saying it, you're like, okay, I sound really, I've, this sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, you realise it. And they're all, yeah. the way that someone looks at you when you're telling them something that you've said or done and they're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what were you thinking? So no, yeah. completely. She's very, very relatable. I think as a character, not only is she incredibly relatable and she starts off very strong she's she retains a an admirable strength throughout which i think um you know is a testament to a really strong character where i'm not going to spoil too much for our listeners but uh her relationship hits a well there's some things happen and uh, her, her her relationship doesn't go quite right but within that you know she she was the wrong party but at the same point she's like well i'm not just going to take a, abuse for this i'm not just gonna you know i've made a mistake i've apologized for it but I'm still going to stand up for myself within that. And I think that shows a full rounded strength of character. One of the interesting things, I think, isn't it, is how would we, you know, you sort of think, you know, how would we, you know, we live such normal on the whole safe lives and we have a routine. How would we react if, if things really went well, well, you know, really went wrong? You know, mm. uh, what, you know, what kind of inner resources do we have? You know, we just, and you never know until, until it happens. So there's something really interesting, I think, about exploring that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I have, well, I'm really, really enjoying it. I haven't quite finished it just yet. I'm very, very close. <laughs> don't spoil it. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, please don't spoil it. But also, um, I, I, I can't recommend it enough. As I say, I'm flying through it because I'm just like, and then every time I think I'll, I'll just do one more chapter, one more chapter. And then I look and I'm like, oh my God, I've been one more chaptering for about an hour now. So I need to actually stop. <laughs> that is so nice to hear. Oh no, it's, it's, it's a joy to read. Thank you. And you mentioned before as well about reading other books as well as part of your process to kind of uh, analyzing what works what doesn't things are you both i'm guessing big big readers in your own rights as well oh kind of avid readers and always have been and i actually think that almost every i mean to be a writer you you have to be a reader really you have to love books um and we read we read everything i mean we kind of read old books new books thrillers not thrillers novels non-fiction I, I was going to say we always have a book on the go. I always have at least one book, and Sean has at least 20 books on the go. <laughs> <laughs> we have different styles of reading. <laughs> so what is, what's the most recent book that you've both read and loved? We love getting recommendations. Yes. I mean, I, I read, but also I do a lot of rereading. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain trusty favourites that I return to over and over again. For instance, I must have read Jane Eyre. Oh, wow. I've seen her multiple times. I just, it's just one of the things that I kind of have to return to. And the book that I've just finished reading again, and I, it must be about the sixth or seventh time, is a thriller, but it's like 
was written a long time ago. It's by Wilkie Collins, The Woman in White. Oh, yeah. one of the great, great thrillers. It's this kind of gothic, kind of uncanny, absolutely extraordinarily atmospheric kind of depiction of a of a crime. Brilliant. Um, I've been reading um, one recent thing. It's a, uh, I think Penguin have, re- have retranslated all of the Simonon Maygrave books. And so I'm sort of wow. working my way through them. And so, I, mean, I mean, it so happens that the last one I read is one called Maygrave's Pickpocket, which is terrific. Starts off with his, someone picking his pocket and then Maygrave gets involved with this person. But really, it's like one giant book. And there are about 80 of them. So, wow. and, they, and it's all about, I mean, one thing, I think one of the things about really great thrillers is there is that is, you know, apart from the stories and the characters is the setting. And this is, mm. you know, for anyone who's read Simonon, this kind of seedy, I mean, it's mainly in a kind of grotty kind of Paris from the forties to the sixties, actually. Uh, and they're just, they're just, and they're, you just get so used to the characters of Maigret and his wife and his, the, you know, the kind of really the low life of Paris. It's very, so that I'm loving those. And actually, I'm going to add, we've just, we've just returned from Australia and one of the, we were at Adelaide's Writers Week and we were sharing a platform with a couple of Australian writers. And that was, you, I, I suddenly, I mean, I probably wouldn't have read them because there are so many books I want to read and you know, there's just not enough time in the world. And we read, you know, we, we, were, we read a book by Chris Hammer and by Derva McTiernan, who you probably know. And then there's Jane Harper, the great yeah. Australian thriller yeah. writers. Yes. Just, but, the, uh, you know, the list of books that are waiting to be read is very long. God, Definitely. isn't it? <laughs> I, um, I always feel a little bit sorry for Australian authors. There's a statement. I lived in Australia for quite a few years and um, you might have noticed when you were over there, books over there are so expensive. And I think slightly less so for homegrown authors, but the taxes on books in Australia are incredible. Do you know, I didn't know that because actually everything that we read over there, we were given. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's incredible. You go to the local bookshop and you're looking at $25-30 for a book. Oh, wow. It's right. just it really doesn't breed a culture of encouraging people to read. I have, well, I have to say that the mood in Australia seemed much more cheerful than the mood that we left behind in Britain. So <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. I think we managed to get over the book yeah. price. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, well, speaking of, you've mentioned, we've talked a lot about character and I'm really curious to see what you're going to do with this question. If yeah. you could, if you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be? And bear in mind, you've just said that you like to take characters that have nice, happy lives and destroy them. So which character from your book would you be? I mean, most of our characters have such awful times. Yes. <laughs> well, for a start, um, I'll rule out all the male characters in our books. Because I remember we once got a review saying, why does Nikki French hate men so much? <laughs> and, uh, why do you hate men so much? I'm very, I'm very flattered by that. And basically the men are... Because anyway, one of our things, we, you know, we, we really have always wanted to avoid the idea of a man coming in and rescuing the female character. Yeah. And so the, the usually our the, the the heroines are surrounded by these weak, dodgy, often corrupt, <laughs> untrustworthy yes. men. So so we get rid of all of them. And also, I would say mostly the the main characters tend to be sort of people who are just who are very much like us, who are like you know, yeah. with all the kind of fallible. And so the one person I think we, we created who I 
represent a kind of fantasy, something I would want to be that, you know, it was free to climb because she was yeah. a real, she's, yeah. I think she was a person, we, a character we created who was clearly much more intelligent than us, <laughs> much sort of powerful and kind of dominant. There's all the things, I'm, I'm a very timid person and she'll just, you know, she just has no nonsense and will go in and do, do, do you know, with no fear. So I, you know, it's a, uh, that's Good the choice. Thing I'd be. Mm. I'm going, this is, this probably sounds weird since she has a really, Horrific time. Um, I'm going for Tabitha in House of Correction. So House of Correction, the first half of it, we see Tabitha in prison, Mm. charged with a murder and trying to work out what actually happened. And she starts off in a terrible place and goes even lower. Um, So we kind of push her right down to the depths of of, of, of kind of depression. And then the second half, we see her kind of running amok, defending herself in in a courtroom. And so she's kind of Tabitha resurgent. And the re- but the reason I'm choosing it, I mean, there's a way in which she's a bit like me, which is very, she's rather small. But also what she is, she's like a loose cannon and yeah. she's angry and Fun. she's reckless and she can speak her mind. And I really love that yeah. in people. In women, I love it when people aren't afraid and they can kind of stand up against everybody and not not be conformist and not say what they're supposed to say and just kind of hold on to what they see as the truth. So I'm going for Tabitha because I aspire to that level of kind of rage. And <laughs> out- <laughs> Me too. That's brilliant. Absolutely. More rage. Not at all terrifying. Another question that we always ask authors we speak to, and this is one of my favourites actually, is what typical crime genre trope are you a bit sick of? So I, you know, I think I said when I when I was writing about what when I was talking about what the best best thing about writing, I said something was very expected, and I think this answer will probably also be very expected. And I was trying to think of a different one, but I'm going to stick with this one because it is the one I really think, which is. It's, and it's not that I'm sick of it, and I and I and I actually think that every every writer has their own rules and their own and their own particular tropes. And but we are very we are very vigilant about violence against women. I mean, we mm. we've, we've never gone along with the kind of the theory that the kind of most recent theory that actually you shouldn't show women as the victims of crime just because of the kind of the, how kind of pornographic it can be and has mm. been in the past, how women are always kind of, you know, mutilated and raped and tortured and chopped up and what's that saying and what's that doing? I mean, the fact is that women often are the victims of crime, especially mm. domestic crime, and, that, and that's what we need to be addressing and that's what we are. That's the kind of dark world that we're inhabiting. So we don't agree with that. On the other hand, we really want the women who are the victims of crime in one way or another not just to be treated like objects and mm. clue. want to kind of give them their humanity. And we only want to use the amount of violence that is justified. So we're continually saying, is that too much? You know, how far should we go? And, and actually, we don't actually show that much violence. We show the aftermath, yeah. usually, and the kind of both the kind of practical and the psychological aftermath. So it's not exactly saying, I'm sick of it, but saying... We are very wary about how we approach, yeah, violence against women, and actually, actually, just violence in particular. But hmm. well, my my one is I'm not sure I'm not sure if this is exactly a trope, but it's, it's I, I have sometimes it's something we talk about together. I think sometimes in thrillers, 
the people seem to know they're in a thriller right from the beginning. <laughs> they kind of believe they're kind of in thriller world. So like when they encounter violence or they or they're interviewed by the police, they sort of oh well, I'm in a thriller, so I know how this goes. And yeah, I think I think that, and we one we, one of our big kind of uh, mottos or watchwords or whatever is th- these people like you know like Jude at the beginning of this book. She doesn't know she's in about to be in a thriller. She thinks she's just in a kind of like a, a, a rom, it's like you, it's like the beginning of a rom com, you know, with a, yeah. someone coming out of your past, and it's something interesting is going to happen. And so, and I think some, I mean, sometimes almost that you, there's a danger where people think, oh yeah, this is because it's so thriller on the back that therefore the characters, you know, we, and so we, I think we, I think we're always aware that people, you know, that they don't, that actually they're not used to the world of the police or crime or anything. Not certainly not in the stories that we write. That's so true as well because yeah. often it feels like. If it's a thriller, and this is not always the case, but because they're in the thriller world, it's very serious, very intense all the time. And there's no kind of humanity left within that. There's no silliness. There's no awkwardness yeah. or jokes. And that's something that you've got in here, like Jude saying things like, why did I say that? And God, I sound really stupid. Like that kind of self-awareness that it's that would exist when all these insane yeah. things are happening around you. Well, it's all, sometimes I think that, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not making accusations about people. No. You should, I think sometimes there's a danger of kind of, because you've seen the way things are done in films, you do it, you know, yeah. you say things in real life, when if you've been, ever dealt with the police, you know, talked to the police before or, or um, witnessed a crime, you know, it's everything is really chaotic and people mm. don't, you know, um, I mean, you know, the, the one or two times where I've actually been a witness of a crime, I had no idea what was going on. And I couldn't, afterwards, I couldn't remember what all the things happened in. And, and we try to con- convey that sort of, you know, or, or, if, or if, if, you, if you often, if you witness real actual violence, not which is not like watching Die Hard or something, a real fight yeah. in the street, it's really often you can't work out who's attacking who and mm. what's, yeah, and, and it's kind of messy on. and almost yeah. absurd. Actual yeah. violence, mm, so true. And there, there was a bit um, I really enjoyed when I think it's again not to spoil too much people at home, but uh, when things have started to fall apart a bit from Jude, and she's taken a bit of time out of work, and someone asks her to come and see them, and she's like, "Well, it's not like I've got anything better to do." Ha ha! And <laughs> there's, a, there's a line where she's like, "That even I found that laugh a bit too much." <laughs> that she does. It's like we've all been there. We've been like everything. Everything's fine. I'm not falling apart. Because one of the weird that you know, often it, there's a kind of comedy about yeah. even ter- when terrible things happen. There's of often course. something horribly funny about it. Yeah, and that's very British as well to laugh through yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. horrendous yes, yeah. tragedy. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> getting back to what Sean was saying about not wanting to be in thriller line. I mean, Jude is one of we have a few women like that going through our novels. You know, she she has she's forced into becoming a kind of detective. But she is a terrible detective. <laughs> detective. No, she should stick to being a doctor. She's better at that. <laughs> Sarah, is it time? It is time for you to ask. The You're going questions. to do it now. You're going to do it. You're going to do it, Sarah. Fine, Frankie yes. tries to bully me into asking this question. She every makes week, me ask it every it. time. <laughs> she does it so well. You're okay. going to do it. You're going to oh, nail really? it. Okay, okay, we're ready. We're ready. All right, all right. So I'm excited to listen to this. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, you've been arrested for an absolutely heinous crime and unfortunately sentenced to death. Just going to throw that in there wow. casually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do I sound that cold when I deliver it, Sarah? <laughs> no, you've got more heart than me. So first of all, what heinous crime have you committed? 
Oh, I'd clearly killed Sean. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you went straight in with that one. There was no thought. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know what. All I know is I think I would be terrible at committing any crime. I think I'd just be, I'd be, just, I mean, even when, I, when there's a couple of times I've been sort of interviewed by police when I'm completely innocent, I'm absolutely panicking. Confessing straight away so me. Think, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Probably, I'd probably be sent for something I'm completely innocent of, but I just confess to it anyway. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> They all say that, yeah. Uh, well, two types of people. <laughs> We've had some fascinating answers to that question, truly. Like some people go, yeah, full on murder. I've definitely killed multiple people. And <laughs> others are like, oh, I probably, oh, too many parking tickets or something. So you're somewhere in the middle. That's okay. You didn't do anything wrong, but. Well, okay. I mean, killing your husband's quite wrong. <laughs> no, no. Sarah, there are two sides to every story, but whatever, go on. Okay. All right. So now we've got that out of the way. Good news is though, yes, death penalty, very sad, but we will cook you or arrange for you to have any meal you like for your last meal. What's it going to be? So I love this question. And actually, I've been waiting for someone to ask me this question for years. Oh, good. I have, and I have conversations with all my friends and my family about, but it's not usually death row meals. It's just like last meal. meal, But it's the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) And I know exactly what I'd have. Can I have lots of courses? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So I'm going to begin with a really gin-laden dry martini. It's kind of got to be like five pots gin, one pot blue, <laughs> with, a le- with lemon, not an olive, very, very cold, with oysters. Okay. Oh. With very deep oysters. So small deep oysters with a dry martini. And then I'm going to go on to... Porcini, you know, wild mushroom, a porcini kind of cut into thick steaks and fried in butter and garlic with black pepper, served with truffle rice and a green salad. And then I'm going to have a really lovely bit of cheese with some, oh, and that's going to have red wine with it. Sure. And then I'm going to have really nice cheese with some more red wine, and then I'm going to have coffee and chocolate. And I'm going to be so inebriated that I won't worry about going off to my death and dying. Wow. That's the best, most detailed answer I think we've ever had to that question. And it was right off the bat. other courses I could insert in, but I think... (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, yeah, love that. Right, my, should I do my one? Yes, please. How can you follow that? Are you going to be able but... to live up to that? I yeah. Mean... <laughs> well, actually, my first one, I, I didn't know what Nikki was going to say. So my first one is a mushroom thing in my first course. A no, few... you've got in your mind. No, it's, not that, it's not that one. It's different. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Nikki and I, a few years ago, we went and we went and worked. We thought we'd work on a book, we'd write a book. We could go and stay abroad for a bit. So we went and stayed in Lucca in, in Italy for oh, four lovely. months. Wow. One, uh, it was in the autumn, so it's, there were lots of there were mushrooms. And there's this amazing Italian mushroom uh, called Caesar's mushroom. It's very, it's quite a delicacy. Uh, and you eat it raw. You just have it sli- very thinly sliced with um, olive oil and lemon juice. And it's absolutely mm. beautiful. Very, very delicate and lovely. We, so, do, we do love a good mushroom yeah. in our house. Yeah. And then the, like so that's the first course. The second course is, is actually... Are you drinking something with it? Um, well, I think, yes, I'll just have some lovely red wine with the whole going all the way through. And uh, the, the main course actually, is, this is very... This is, uh, Nikki is a vegetarian and I'm a real, I love meat. And Nikki, so this is very nice. This is a thing that Nikki cooks, even and that even Aww. though it's in. So it's very, it's very nice. Nikki makes this absolutely wonderful cassoulet. Does people know mm. cassoulet, which is this wonderful kind of south 
southern French thing of beans and sort of bits of duck and goose. and is it goose? Well, it can be goose, it can be yeah. duck. And uh, well, you, you cook it, you can tell me. <laughs> There's no meat in it at all, Sean. She's lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely got meat in. So it's actually so rich and comforting, and it's you know, it would have to be. I'd have to be being executed in sort of the winter because it's like a winter dish. Nice. And uh, except that for the pudding, that um, my I'm half Swedish. My mother's Swedish, and we we spend every summer in Sweden. And my, my pudding would definitely be um we go in the, we go and pick mushrooms and f- fruit and berries in the forest, and uh, I would have a, the, the the pudding would just be um uh, wild strawberries and wild blueberries oh. for a pick in the forest with 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 cream, very simple and Beautiful. absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised after that many there's not mushroom for any other courses. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Sorry. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> just wow. Very good. Thank you very much. <laughs> they are incredible answers though. And I'm so intrigued really by the raw mushroom dish. Mm. I love raw mushrooms mm. so right. much. So I'm looking that one That's up. I've beautiful. never seen them. I've never seen them in, in England. You, you know, you could get them in France and Italy, but I've I've only ever eaten them yeah. one time. Bit our marketers, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah that yeah. sounds like a place they'd have that. Wow. Well, okay. So you've had your incredible final meal, and unfortunately, you have now been put to death. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, but as one last nice gesture um, to send you off into the afterlife or whatever you believe, uh, we're going to let you take the book of your choice in the coffin with you. So, what books would you be buried with? Okay. Well, I'll take one of the. I'll take one of the a, a book that one of the books that inspired me to write thrillers. You know, so you know, so, so I'm not going to take. You know, so this is not my the best book ever written. Mm. But uh, I think um, I, could I take two books? Or sure, take two? go on. We'll be generous. Well, I'll, 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 I'll take one. I'll take one. Okay. So one of the books. Someone came and said, "I've never read a thriller in my life. Give me one that's good." Give I them one give of yours. Them. Yeah. No. I, well, but, yeah, apart from one, of course, I yeah. apart from giving one of ours. I'd give the spy who came in from the cold, the John the Carrie book. Yeah, oh, very good. Very short, and it's um, it's got you know I was saying earlier about that. It's got this amazing setting, the kind of the CD kind of you know London in the kind of end of the fifties, and so everything's a bit grotty, and the and the every, you know it's all sort of cynical, but it also so it's got that beautifully done, and it's got an absolutely brilliant story uh, the plot with i mean not i think as far as i remember it's not just one twist and i'm not even sure it's more than two it's like a triple twist but it's very very it's a brilliant thriller so that's what that will be Great there by choice my to, next to my heart mm. i i thought i might choose a thriller and then i think what well, so i'm going to choose a children's book mm. partly because i think this is a book that has meant a lot to me through my childhood and then through my children's childhoods and now we've got two little grandchildren and I won't be too long before we can start reading it to them so it's like a book that's kind of taken me all the way through my life and actually it's a children's book but it's a children's book that means more to me as an adult it kind of grows and grows in its meaning and it's it's a book by Tove Janssen who wrote all the Moomin Troll books I mean they were turned into kind of cartoons Mm. but the cartoons cannot do not suggest the wonder of the books and this this is this one, my favourite of all the Moomin Troll books, is called um, Moomin, Tr- Moomin Land Midwinter, and it's 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 set in deep winter when Moomin Troll wakes up from his hibernation and he's in this unfamiliar world, and it's absolutely even just thinking about it makes me want to weep. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, mysterious, sweet little book, and 
So I've had it all my life so I can have it all my death as well. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. I like that. We do get quite a lot of people picking books from their childhood. I think I'd do that as well, actually. What would you pick? Oh, Frankie cringes every time I say this. I was very much a child of the Harry Potter generation, so um, I'd probably take a Harry Potter with me. Despite, I'll do my usual disclaimer, despite yeah. certain actions and yeah. opinions by so the right, author. So That's the reason I roll my eyes, not the not the wizard <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> you can have all the wizards you like. And I'm guessing, Frankie, I'm sure you've told me this before, it's got to be an Agatha Christie for you, right? Yeah, it's an Agatha Christie. Which one? Well, this is the thing. It's almost, an, it changes every week for me, really, which one, but... Oh, a death on the Nile potentially holds a lot in my heart. I'm a massive Poirot person. So, uh, yeah. Or, I mean, Modern Yorit Express. And then oh, there were no- oh, It's impossible. I've got, I've got two, well, the two ones, I, I, and then there were none. I think it yes. was just as Stunning. it's now called. Yes, <laughs> and, yeah, much better title now. <laughs> and also um, uh, the murder, of, is it the murder of Roger Ackroyd? Oh, which is just oh, staggering. That plot twist. I know, that is just... Mm. So are you reading all the Sophie Hannah? Yes, I have been. I think she's doing a fantastic job. I'm really enjoying them. So she really captures his essence. I mean, I'm not, I mean, we should, we can wrap this up. But uh, I also do a Poirot podcast about David Touche's Poirot specifically. Oh, oh right. right, right. Yeah. Oh, right. You really are a fan. I have tattoos. <laughs> what, did you think, what did you think of the um the the new the kind of rebooted Poirot with what's he called jo- um, Kenneth you know. Branagh? No, not Kenneth. No, not Kenneth Branagh. The um oh John Malkovich. Yeah, John Malkovich, yeah. That one was interesting. Very, <laughs> that very, very dark. It was really dark. Yeah. I mean, was it even Poirot? It was Not like, really. You know, I felt that it was, you know, they could have, if they hadn't given the names of Poirot, it could have just been a, another thing, really. Yeah, I felt, I felt very much the same. Would have hated it so much. Yes. Yeah. It was definitely not in, in the spirit of, of her style, but. I, I, but <laughs> I'm not going to get into my Kenneth Branner rant because that's another, another story for another time. But what do you think of his moustache? Oh, he gave the moustache a backstory. That was insane. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't know. No. Oh my God. Yeah. Apparently the moustache is hiding horrendous wounds from when he was in the war. Oh God. No. No. Oh yeah. And he had yeah. to leave his girlfriend at the time because of his girlfriend. war scarring. And, like, oh, he's honestly, a wounded. He's a wounded man. Yeah, yeah. He was incredible. a soldier. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, that, actually, that's the other thing we would have we, we you know is a, is that we could have done as a trope is this idea of everyone now has to have a backstory. Yes, that, yeah. Don't, and exactly. Be wounded. Yeah. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, no, I think with the John Malkovich one, at least it was something completely different. Yeah. And yeah, I respect that. I respect at least trying something completely different. If you're going to do an adaptation, make it completely different at least, mm. and and not uh, insult the good moustache of. <laughs> Her in the process. So, wow. And that's the perfect note to end on, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry if I've ruined it with everything for everyone. Thank you very much, Baby. Really, thank you. It's been fascinating. And where can people find you online? If it's social media, website? Yeah, probably if you just Google us on, on, and you're on Twitter, it's probably the easiest way to find us. That's a great Brilliant. answer to that question. Just Google us. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say that next time so Frankie true. asks me what our social media handles are, because I can never remember. Sorry, did I sound insane? No, it was perfect. <laughs> no, because, no, and Sarah loves it because she forgets the name of our podcast uh, all the time. So uh, it would, yeah, she needs to Google it quite a lot. So that's quite good advice. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
<laughs> but if people listening would like to follow us on social media, they can follow us at the Red and Buried Podcast uh, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And you can email us at, at the Red and Buried Podcast at gmail.com as well. Yeah. Or Google us. Or Google us. Yes. It's very good. So, Nikki French, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a delight to speak to you both. And everyone needs to go out and get order a copy of The Favour because it is, as I say, a cracking read. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So, thank you. Well, thank I hope you enjoy you. the rest of it. it I will. Really, really, really great to talk to you. Take thank care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye then. Hi, I'm Colin. I'm Ian. And I'm Tracy. And we dig music. Just not always the same music. Each episode, we pick our 10 favourite songs from a specific year, rate them, and then battle it out over a top 30 countdown. Colin's pretty enthusiastic about most stuff, Ian, less so. And Tracy definitely owns a thesaurus. And one of us will regularly be told to fuck off. <laughs> so join us each month to hear what we dig and what we don't. Listen to We Dig Music wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on WeDigPodcast.com or we're on the We Made This Podcast Network, which you can find at WeMadeThisNetwork.com.